Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. The Lord is so good. There's nothing quite as powerful, nothing quite as productive, nothing quite as peaceful as just being right with God. Tonight, I want to encourage you that if you are without peace, if you are without joy, if you are without fruit for your labor, if you are without the fruits of the Spirit of God in your life, if you seem to come up short of the power it takes to push forward and to keep trusting or depending on God, I'm going to ask you tonight that while I am teaching the Word tonight, that you would find just a private moment between you and God and just ask Him to forgive you of anything in your life that you may have done knowingly or unknowingly, that you would ask Him to open up your heart and your mind to, to things that perhaps you've just missed, you know, that He would soften your heart, that He would make you moldable and pliable in His hands, that you would be easy for him to work with. Ask him to give you that hope, to restore your joy, to give you direction and wisdom, to give you the power, the peace, the fruit that you may be longing. And if you will do that tonight, your life will change tonight. It will change. It will be up to you to keep that change going. But it begins with a decision. It begins with just one challenged moment, whether we're challenged by the Holy Spirit in our heart and our mind, or if someone standing in front of us, family member, friend, or someone who is just passing, stands in front of us and encourages us to trust God. Just give it to Him. Give it to him. Give it to him. With that challenge can come a simple decision. And decisions change things. I can remember making many decisions in my life that completely changed the direction, completely changed the hope, changed what, what I did next time. Instead of just doing what I did last time. I can remember decisions speaking to me. Life might just be waiting on a decision. This week, we were talking in our staff time and prayer time about what does it take for someone to change? What does it take to change. Sometimes people want to be treated different than they are being treated, but yet they are being treated fairly because of the way that they have behaved. You see, the past six months or the past year or maybe the past decade of your life speaks to other people. It just does. 
Your life speaks. What is your life saying? How do people know you? What do people expect from you? Most likely they expect exactly what they have gotten from you over the last six months or one year or perhaps the last decade. If you want that to change, you need to make a decision. A decision to change your life, to change your habits, to change how you feel, what you say, how you interact with others, how you process information. And once you make that change, then you will need to hold on to that change and live that change for another six months or a year before you expect anyone to treat you any different than you have portrayed yourself to be over the last six months. You can make a decision and change your life, but don't expect other people to believe you have changed until they see it a little longer than a day, a week, a month. If you want to be known as a good employee, then start showing up on time and don't expect any praise the first week, the first month, the first three months. If you want to be a better spouse, then change, make a decision, and then act differently. And don't expect anyone to believe you're any different than you were until you get a good six months under your belt. That's reasonable. It's reasonable, isn't it? Now, we know this when we think about it and we're looking at other people. But when we turn it on ourselves, we must realize other people are looking at us. They know us like we know them. And if you want to be known to be the person that you would like to be treated as, then perhaps you may want to decide and stick to it. And if you do, one day, as in my case, when my mother-in-law said, I wish my daughter had married that other man. That's what she said. Looking back, I can understand why. I didn't like it, but you know, she knew me. Everyone knew me. I couldn't ask for her to treat me any other way or think of me any other way than the way I had been. Don't be surprised when you reap what you sow. But on her deathbed, she said to me, if given the chance, I'm going to turn my voting paper over and write your name on the back of it for president. She said, I'm telling everybody, vote for Ronnie. I think you should be the president of the United States. Things can change because of the decision. But she saw that decision. She saw it last me a lifetime. The Bible says there is a repentance 
of the world that only brings us more sorrow. Why? Because worldly repentance does not change a person. You just go right back to the way you were. But there is a godly sorrow, a godly repentance, the Bible says, that actually changes us and we never change back. Give that change to God. Make a decision tonight if you you want to be seen as a different person. Make the decision to be a different person. And don't expect anyone to notice or to praise you for a long time. Amen? Amen. Well, I don't know who needed that, but most likely it was you right there. Yeah. There are 12 people in Pennsylvania that really need help. Okay? And uh, that was for you. God bless you. Open up your Bibles tonight, if you would, to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. We're continuing our study in the book of Acts. And Acts 19 is all about Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is one of my favorite places in the world. And, uh, you know, Bill, uh, Merritt, you know, uh, boy, we went to Ephesus, didn't we? It's an amazing place. Well, we walked around those city streets and, uh, I mean, just... Just an amazing, an amazing place. Well, uh, if you will allow me, while we are turning and uh, beginning to look at Acts 19, I want to just give a little bit of a history of this ancient city uh, called Ephesus. And if you look for it on a map, you might find it on a Bible map, but if you're looking for it on a map, you will look on the western side of Turkey, this would be west to you, wouldn't it? On the western side of Turkey, about central, about, you know, uh, you know, a couple of hours south of Izmir is a big city. And you'll see a city called Selkuk, okay? Right off the coastline from Kusadasi, where all the cruise ships dock. That will be the location of Ephesus. And Ephesus was founded about a thousand years before Christ in the 10th or 11th century B.C., and uh, it, it's, uh, that, that's during the time of King David, basically. But, but today, Ephesus stands as a marvelous example of uh, preserved archaeological ruins. And, and they open up Ephesus. It continues to be available to, to you know, the common general public and to serious students of archaeology and history as well. And the city of Ephesus was most important because of its trading position. It was a real trade center. In fact, uh, some imagine it to be the most important trade city on the Mediterranean, in the Mediterranean and Aegean region there for many generations. The city of Ephesus became known worldwide and worldwide acclaim um, because of a temple that was built there in about the year 700. This temple that was built was the temple to Artemis. Okay. Now, uh, um, you might know him in, in the King James Version of the Bible or the New King James Version as Diana. You, you might know the goddess Diana. Great is you know, the goddess Diana of the Ephesians. Well, that's a Greek name. The, the, the actual name of this goddess uh, was uh, Artemis. And Artemis uh, was the goddess of the hunt and chastity and childbirth and wild animals and wilderness. And... Um, 
she was one of the most revered Greek deities. And in the year, now the, the temple was built in about 700 or so, give or take a little bit. And then in the year 356 BC, there was a man living in Ephesus that wanted to make a name for himself. He wanted his name to live on in history. And so what he did was he set fire to the, this, this, this great temple of Diana, this great temple of Artemis, and burned it down. And it was known throughout the world. It had been standing for, for so many years, and it burned completely down. Well, uh, he wanted his name to be known. So the city fathers all got together and decided that the one thing that he wanted, the reason why he burned it down was for fame. And so they refused to allow his name to be spoken anywhere in the city or written anywhere and, and, and you know, uh, just to take away from him what he wanted. And so he became very famous for that. Uh, but at any rate, uh, then... That was in 356. Fast forward about 22 years or so in about 334 B.C. And Alexander the Great. Y'all remember Alexander the Great? This young, you know, um, uh, you know, egocentric maniac. Went around conquering the whole known world. Well, in the year 334, he conquered the Persians and he rode into Ephesus. Ephesus was this magnificent city. I mean, it was renowned. It, had just, it, 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 it was amazing. It was a, you know, just, just a wonderful, wonderful place right there on a major river and also on the Aegean Sea. And so while he was there, he was so enamored with the place and the people. And the people were so kind that, that uh, he said, I am going to be a benevolent benefactor to the city and to the temple of Artemis. I am going to rebuild the temple of Artemis in great fashion. And so, uh, you know, they, the, the city fathers really did not want Alexander the Great to rebuild the temple of Artemis, mainly because they did not want to be beholden to him, you know, for all the rest of everything or to make that his city. And so they contrived a plan which worked. And what they did is they went to this egocentric maniac of a ruler, this general, Alexander the Great, and they said, listen, we want to thank you so much. You know, they, 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 they appeared very humble and very, you know, we want to thank you so much for, you know, being willing to build this temple, but it would be improper for a god, for you, Alexander, for a god to build a temple to another god. You shouldn't, a God should not build a temple to worship another God. He said, you know, that's right. Oh, dodge that bullet. And so he rode out of the city. And for the, for the next decade before he, um, he, he died, he, you know, was, a, was, was very benevolent to the city of Ephesus. And uh, it's Ephesus that is credited, the citizens of Ephesus, having loved the temple of Artemis, they are credited with rebuilding this temple of, of Artemis. And it was the largest temple anywhere in the world. It is said to have been four times larger than the Parthenon. It's amazing. In fact, it was known in its day as one of the seven wonders of the world. What an amazing thing. Anthony and Cleopatra went to Ephesus. They spent time there planning one of their takeovers, which didn't work, by the way. And, and Ephesus grew uh, you know, under the Roman rule. Ephesus grew to, to be a city of perhaps 250,000 people. It was huge. They trained military there. 
And, uh, you know, it, it changed hands a few times, uh, you know, from the Egyptians to the Seleucid Empire, uh, you know, uh, to King uh, uh, Athalos of Pergamum. And in the year 129, am I boring you yet? We're going somewhere with this. In the year 129 BC, the king of Pergamum, at his death, willed the city of Ephesus and much of the kingdom of Pergamum into the Roman Empire. He basically willed it. He wanted it to have covering and protection, and he thought the Roman Empire was great and growing and would protect it and do well. And so not wanting it to go here or there or anywhere else, he just put it in his will as king that when he died, it would go to the Roman Empire. And so uh, it became the seat of the regional Roman governor of that area. And it went through a lot of reforms under uh, Caesar Augustus. Uh, uh, but... Uh, the modern-day ruins, if you go to the city of Ephesus today, you will uh, see city streets. In fact, I, I, I have maybe some pictures. Do you, uh, have some pictures been coming up? I haven't noticed. Uh, I don't think so, but uh, let's see. Uh, this uh, is, is, is a part. See the city streets of Ephesus? And right back there behind, see that? That is a theater that holds 25,000 people. And uh, that's the theater later on that we'll read about in Acts chapter 19, uh, where they took the Apostle Paul into that theater. And, you know, uh, well, they, they met in that theater out of a lot of confusion, a mob did. And it seems like they were ready to pull him apart. But, um, and and uh, next, next picture. And Timothy was, was in, ended up being the pastor of the church. Oh, look, it's, uh, it's uh, Sue and Brenda and Tina on the streets of Ephesus. See how big the streets were? Look how long the streets are. I mean, they are long. This was, a, this was a huge, huge city. It has not only wide city streets, but it also has a lot of businesses and, you know, a lot, a lot of port uh, places. And, and um, it, uh, uh, it also has an upper and a lower uh, agora, which is a, a shopping market, shopping area, uh, huge. Okay, uh, show us another one. And uh, let's see. Here we are. This is one of the business districts. And a part of the area that was, uh, uh, you know, held the political governors. In fact, right to the far right, I don't know if you can make out on the far right, uh, up, up a little bit, is, uh, is, is a smaller little theater where the uh, Roman government and, and, and smaller things would be put on for important VIPs. And, uh, uh, and uh, I, I had a lot of funny pictures of them posing, by the way, that I didn't put up here. And maybe one more. I, I think there's one more of the theater. That's, that's the small theater. You know, uh, small, it, 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 it ultimately holds perhaps uh, 1,800 to 2,200, you know, 2,500 people. But it was where the smaller things were put on. Then they had the large 25,000-seat theater. And uh, at any rate, uh, Ephesus is very well preserved. And, and you can go there and see a large military training area and, uh, all, all, and, and even public restrooms. Did I have a picture of any of the public restrooms? I should have. They had an aqueduct system there, uh, even in that day, and they had running water so that people that went to these large shopping areas had public restrooms to go to. I have pictures of these ladies uh, and some of you who went with me, you know, um, uh, uh, there uh, in, in the public restrooms uh, with running water. It just ran right under your feet in a little trough, but it was still running water and uh, carried the waste outside of the city. What an amazing, amazing place. And um, 
by the time that the Apostle Paul arrived in Ephesus, um, it was the mid-50s, pagan worship had been going on in that city for right at 750 years. Now let me tell you what 750 years of pagan worship, of the temple of Artemis and pagan worship and the city being known for the great temple of Diana and the great goddess Diana. And, and you know, th this was what the city was known for. It was wholly given unto idolatry and, and much of the industry of the town, of the, of the city, uh, was connected to this great temple and to the worship of this pagan goddess. And, and uh, uh, one such industry was the silversmith industry, people who made little idols and little chains and necklaces and, and little curious arts of, of, of pagan worship out of silver. And so, uh, you know, th there were just so many silversmiths, they had their own huge guild, uh, like, a, like a local union, okay? And they were really uh, cohesive and collective and they were fairly powerful in the city uh, because they dealt with the silver, silver. And people would come from all over the known world to Ephesus to learn how to control demons, how to cast them out, how to uh, uh, heal sicknesses through potions and incantations and, and uh, casting spells. I mean, this was known. In fact, Ephesus was the most demonically inspired city and the most demonically filled city of any city in the whole Roman Empire. And that's saying a lot. There was a lot of evil going on in Rome and a lot of evil going on in a lot of other places, in Corinth and many other places. But none so demonically filled and inspired and controlled as Ephesus. Ephesus was the seat of, of, of demons who, uh, who, you know, from generation to generation to generation were passed down familiar spirits and books for 750 years from family member to family member to family member to family member copied and recopied and, 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 and spread out among all the families that held in these books how to deal with sicknesses, what you needed to do, you know, maybe, I don't know, you know, witch, it, it was certain witchcraft, but, you know, you know, I have a newt, you know, whatever, I don't know whatever they had in there, but, but, but it, it dealt with, you know, how to get people healed and how to keep demons away and how to, to, to perform exorcisms. Performing exorcisms was one of the biggest crafts and one of the biggest uh, uh, teaching centers of how to, uh, Ephesus was, of teaching people how to control these demons and therefore control people's health, wealth, and sanity. Um, and so, you know, demon worship was in full swing. Uh, and so uh, the Apostle Paul arrives there at a perfect place, just like at Corinth, at a perfect place, man. My goodness, he arrived there with the master of the universe, the one who can cast out demons just by using a name. Man, he showed up in the right place, you know. Uh, it, it, it seems like the Holy Spirit Jesus sent him to places that really were dark, that really were in trouble. And these places like Corinth and like Ephesus, they ended up changing their whole world in only one generation. Well, there are two things we're going to focus on tonight in Acts chapter 19. The first thing we're going to deal with 
uh, are the special seasons of God, special seasons of miracles, specifically the one that God gave to the Ephesians. No doubt these special seasons are calling cards. No doubt these are proof in the power of the name of Jesus and, and, and what, what greater calling card, what, 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 what greater way to get people's attention than for the power of God to be released in a, in, in a certain place for a certain thing at a certain time in a very special way. We'll read about that in a moment. The second thing we're going to learn tonight from this chapter is that we do not have to tear down one thing to build up another thing. It's important to realize that our victory is not in our enemy's defeat. Whether your enemy is defeated or not, your victory is in Christ. And the Apostle Paul is going to teach us that. A very valuable lesson. This is a lesson I teach literally around the world to pastor after pastor after pastor. And they end up being amazed, realizing that they are not responsible to tear down the false. They are responsible to lift up the truth. There is a big difference. I know it sounds like the same, but it's, 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 it's as different as preaching the bad news thinking that you're preaching the good news. The fact that lost people are on their way to hell is bad news, not good news. And we are not called to preach the bad news. We are called to preach the good news. The good news is they don't have to go to hell because Jesus Christ has paid for their eternal salvation. We preach the good news. The Apostle Paul is going to teach a great lesson on the importance of, of realizing we, you know, tearing down something does not equal building up something. And we are not called to tear down even falsehood. We are called to lift up truth. Well, Acts the 19th chapter. Have you found it? We'll just go through the, uh, the, the chapter reading some different verses. I trust you will read it uh, yourself in entirety so that you can maintain context. And don't just believe what I say. You have a responsibility to search out the truth for yourself. Because when you get to heaven, you'll not be able to gain entrance into heaven by saying, my preacher told me. Okay? I'm sorry, I have no clout in heaven. I don't have any way to get you in. You need to make sure that you are standing on the word of God for yourself. Amen? Acts chapter 19. Verse 1, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper coast, through the, uh, right under the Black Sea, he came from the east, headed west, and he ended up coming to Ephesus. Okay? Now, when he got to Ephesus, he went to the synagogue and he began to preach. He found some disciples there and he told them about Jesus. They had been following John the Baptist. They got baptized in the name of Jesus and they, they, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues and prophesy. What a wonderful picture. But then the Apostle Paul turned his attention to preaching to the Jews who were in the synagogue in Ephesus. Well, you know, that didn't last very long as it, as it happened in many of the cities. Uh, people hardened their hearts and they refused to believe what he was saying. And so what the Apostle Paul did is he decided he would take the few disciples that did believe and he would go over and open up a school. He opened up the Apostle Paul's school of ministry in Ephesus for a two-year degree in discipleship. 
Okay? And there he preached in the school, in the, in, in, in the house of one man named Tyrannus for two years. And basically, people came from all over Eurasia, all over what is now Turkey and Armenia and all over, you know, portions of, of, of all the way over to the edge of Persia. And, and, and they would come. And the Bible says that basically all of the whole world uh, uh, and all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord from Ephesus. Uh, we can talk about how that happened later, but both Jews and Gentiles. Verse 11. Now God worked unusual miracles, special miracles. God did special, unusual, not usual, not normal, not always seen, but things that were special. God worked unusual miracles in Ephesus by the hands of Paul. Listen to what happened. This sounds crazy. And it is unusual, and it is unnormal, not normal, and it is special. Uh, so that handkerchiefs, pieces of cloth, or aprons were brought from his body to sick people, and the diseases left them, and evil spirits went out of them. My goodness. And there were so many evil spirits and so many sick and diseases in Ephesus because not only was that a place where people came learning how to control sickness and disease and demons it was also a place where there was an abundance of exorcists and so people who were filled with demons came there to get set free and who had sicknesses and infirmities came there and so there were sick people and demon possessed people all over the whole city of 250,000 people and a bunch of people running around incantating all over them that should have been funny. I just made that word up right there. So, isn't it strange? I find it to be very unusual that somebody would get a piece of cloth off of the Apostle Paul's body and take it and throw it on somebody that was sick and they'd be healed. Now, I, I got no problems with people taking cloth and throwing it on sick people. You know, people do that all the time. But they get healed? That's pretty big. Come on now, get in, jump in this boat with me, okay? I mean, you, you take a handkerchief, you know, you take my handkerchief and you throw it on somebody and a demon, an evil spirit starts crying and comes out of them. If you threw this on your next door neighbor and a demon screamed and manifest and threw them down and came out and your neighbor got up just, and became the absolute best neighbor ever, wouldn't that freak you out? Would you think that's pretty special? That doesn't happen all the day. It doesn't happen all the time. That's special. Well, God did unusual miracles. They weren't even normal for Paul. They weren't normal for Christians. They weren't normal for first century churches. This went beyond the scope of things that had happened before. Well, uh, if you'll read right below that, you'll find that that so impressed some of the itinerant exorcists who were visiting town learning how to cast demons out. And so these seven sons of a Jewish man who were itinerant exorcists. What in the world is an itinerant exorcist? They were a group of people that, that people paid and they went around from city to city, you know, seven, you know, seven of them casting demons out of people. <laughs> holding exorcism classes. And whenever they saw that it is so easy 
My good, all you do is just say the name of Jesus and throw that on them and they come and the devils come out. People get set free and sickness goes away. This is so much better than having to read in some book and follow some incantation and light some, you know, um, you know uh, uh, candles and, and find, you know, I mean, where do you find newts at anyway? So, these seven sons of this Jewish man got them a demon-possessed man. They were plentiful there in, in Ephesus. They got this demon-possessed man, and they took him into a house, and they shut the door. And they said, we're going to give this a shot. They had hear, heard what Paul had been doing. Paul just been saying, in the name of Jesus, come out. And they've been coming out. In the name of Jesus, come out. They've been coming out. In the name of Jesus, come out. In the name of Jesus, come out. In the name of Jesus, come out. And they were coming out. So these seven men, you can read the story. It reads better than I tell it. They got this man, this demon-possessed man, and they said, we command you, demon, in the name of Jesus whom Paul is preaching, you come out of him. Well, it wasn't the man that spoke back. It was the demon that spoke back out of the man. And he said, hey, now, Paul I know, Jesus I know, but who do you think you are? You don't have a right to that name. I can see there's no light on the inside of you. Your candle's not lit. You're not a child of God. You don't have authority in that name. There's people going around saying Jesus and everything. You, know, you, you can say Jesus all day long. But there's a difference whenever a child of God uses the name of Jesus. And the Bible says, you know, well, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And with that, the devil began to beat those seven itinerant, vagabond Jewish exorcists. And he beat them up so bad and stripped them completely naked. And they ran out into one of those big, broad streets that you saw that was filled with people everywhere. And those seven naked men took off running through the streets. And the Bible says the whole city knew what happened. Everybody in the the city heard about this and saw this seven naked Jewish men running down the road screaming mama the devil's after me well with that there was a great respect all of a sudden came to the Apostle Paul and a great respect and and and, and many people both Jews and Gentiles a fear fell on them the Bible says and, uh, and the name of the Lord was magnified. And many people believed. And when they believed, verse 19 says, And also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books. You remember the books we talked about been handed down for 700 years. Many of them brought their books together and burned them in the sight of the whole city. And they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. A piece of silver was equal to one day's wage. 50,000 days of labor. 50,000 days wage was burned in one fire. Because those special miracles ended up magnifying the name of Jesus. And verse 20 says, so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Let me tell you, point number one tonight is 
that there are special seasons in which God does special miracles. Verse 21 tells us when these things were ended. Listen, these special miracles, this special season, these unusual miracles in Ephesus, they happened because God said these are going to happen, and they ended. Things begin and things end. And I believe that we are always in some special season of God somewhere in the world. God deals with nations. He deals with people groups, and he deals differently. We have seen great outpourings. We have experienced seasons of revival in nation after nation in which people come to Christ in masses. We, we, we can see throughout history that revivals come to cities. They come to nations. They come to people groups at God's will by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through the hands of men. Undeniable moments of mass evangelism have swept nation after nation in God's timing, in God's season. As well, there have been great seasons of healings and miracles. History records in, in places throughout time that God has done unusual miracles. From Ephesus, here in the mid-50s, to the African continent in the 1900s. The early 1900s, a great revival and a great healing revival began to sweep through the whole African continent. Undeniable miracles and people being raised from the dead. Things happening all across the, 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 the Middle East with Jesus appearing to person after person after person. Christophanes speaking in dreams and visions. God works special, unusual miracles like the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in country after country sparked a, a uh, by everything from the Welsh revival to, to the Zusa Street, to the Jesus movement, to the Catholic charismatic renewal. Do you remember these things? You know, I mean, great movements of God that are undeniable. The Jesus movement, you know, when, when all the hippies and the flowers, you know, Ken got saved in the Jesus movement. Amazing. We cannot deny that God gives us special seasons. Our task is to know the times and the seasons of the Spirit and to always be ready to embrace a fresh word and a fresh move of God. Nothing outside the word, nothing that, that the word does not support, but we need to realize that God is doing something special somewhere in the world all the time and we need to be paying respect to what God is doing. And we need to find a way to participate in what God is doing through prayer. Or perhaps through, through uh, you know, physical uh, the participation somehow. You know, whether going or whether, whether, whether financing or supporting. In some way facilitating whatever God is doing anywhere in the world. Because there's always a special season that God is doing something somewhere. Continuing with the book of Acts, if we may. We find Paul was blamed with destroying all these curious arts. 
They came and brought and burned all these books. And, and along with that, they, they, they gave up their witchcraft. And they, and they were born again. And the Word of God began to grow and prevail and mightily. And, and Jews and Greeks both and Gentiles, they, 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 they changed their lives. A decision that I'm not going to involve myself in witchcraft anymore. I'm not going to worship pagan gods anymore. I'm not going to live a compromised life anymore. That decision meant that the silversmith guild was about to go bankrupt. Because they couldn't sell any more idols in Ephesus. I mean, think about it. How many people, perhaps we're told, perhaps one quarter of the whole city converted to become believers in Jesus Christ and left the temple of Artemis and left witchcraft and left pagan idolatry and destroyed and melted down their silver, silver and, 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 and you know, uh, did better things with it. And the silversmiths could not sell their little trinkets anymore. They got so angry that their president, <laughs> you, you, you can read about it, he was the head of, the, of their union. He got them all together and said, this man Paul, he is causing trouble here. He's causing bad trouble. It's his fault that we're not making any money. What's going to happen to us? And they began to stir up all the people. And the end result was, was at the end of the evening, about 25,000 people, because it says they filled that theater that we saw earlier. Okay? Uh, it, I, I think we may have a picture of, of, of it again. They filled this huge theater with people. And the Bible says that the crowd that showed up was so confused that they didn't even know. Many of them did not. And in fact, it said the majority of them, you can read it in, in, in Acts 19, the majority of them, most of the people there did not even know why they were there. Nothing, you know, nothing draws a crowd like a crowd. Nothing incites a mob like a mob. Loud voices. People follow loud voices and passionate people. You know, please don't follow the loudest voice, the first voice, or the most passionate person. Okay? Follow the truth in the Word of God. And for goodness sakes, find out what you're doing before you do it. Because they were all there in a riot. And they were in danger of being called by the Roman government for being, uh, you know, uh, uh, for having a, 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 a riot, for having a, an assembly of that size uh, and causing such problems without a permit. And so... The city manager, you can read about it, but this is what it literally means. The city manager of Ephesus went and said, what in the world are you guys doing? They said, it's this, it's this Paul. I mean, this guy, we're going you know, we're, we're to do him in. I mean, he has ruined our city. He's teaching us to do things that we shouldn't do. And, 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 and he's, you know, he's, he's, he's hurting our business. And, 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 and he's, you know, uh, the city manager said, listen, you guys have the wrong thing in mind. Now, Paul wanted to go into the theater. He was trying to go in and wanted to answer for himself. But they said, no, they will tear you apart. And so they pulled him back. And the city manager said, listen. He said, uh, listen, listen to what he said in Acts 19 about the apostle Paul. He quieted him down. And he said, now listen. You know, he, the, the New King James Version calls him the city clerk. Okay? He was a city manager, basically, the city recorder. And he said, listen, this city of Ephesus is known as the, as, as the guardian of the great temple of Diana, the image which fell down from Zeus. Nobody can deny that Ephesus belongs to Artemis, this pagan god. 
Verse 37, he says, for you have brought these men here, talking about the apostle Paul and, and, uh, and, and, and the people that were following him, who are neither robbers of the temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Now listen to what he's saying. The apostle Paul's been there now for between two and two and a half years, probably about two and a half years. He's been holding his school for two years. He's had great success. You know, thousands of people born again. You know, a big, uh, a big witchcraft burning of all these articles. I mean, I mean, things are happening. The Word of God is powerful, and, and the church is growing, and it'll end up being uh, the largest church in Christendom under the leadership of Timothy and, and uh, up, 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 up until just, you know, uh, uh, you know, until the last century. And yet, this was his testimony. The city clerk testified that these men, the Apostle Paul and his followers, they have not you know, robbed your temple. They haven't taken anything away from the goddess Diana. And neither have they said one ugly word about your goddess. Now, that's a pretty tall order. For having changed that many lives. But you see the Apostle Paul knew the key to changing lives. The power of God. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone who will believe. The Apostle Paul understood that more than just tearing down pagan religions. More than just tearing down false gods. More than just tearing down you know, lies. We need to lift up the truth. And he had this testimony from a city clerk that he had not said one bad word. And everybody agreed. We have not heard him say anything bad about that religion or about that God. That's pretty good. Especially when you were in the most demonically inspired city in the whole known world and your testimony is, is that I've built a great church. I've seen people born again and healed and demons come out of people. I've seen lives changed. It's changed the whole economy. It's changed families. It's changed generations. It's changed, the Bible says, all of Asia has changed. And I have not said one bad word about anybody else. You see, tearing down something does not equal building up something. The bad news does not equal the good news. The Apostle Paul teaches us the importance. He would later write in 1 Corinthians in the second chapter in verse 2, he would write this. For I determined not to know anything among you. Except one thing, Jesus Christ and him crucified. The only thing I am going to talk to you about is Jesus. I don't want to talk to you about, you know, the horrors of some other religion. I don't want to talk to you about Hinduism or Buddhism or Islam or, or you, know, uh, uh, you know, Mormonism or whatever else may, whatever ism there is out there. We're not here to tear down, uh, you know, uh, uh, Mm. The guys with the little aprons. Uh, or, yeah, whoever else. Whoever, you know, when people get on TV and that's all that they have to preach, when people, when people are more against something than they are for something, just go ahead and turn those people off. Yeah, that's right. 
Okay? You don't need that sour spirit in you. If all you are is anti, then you might be anti-Christ. It's the good news that saves people. Okay? And the Apostle Paul taught us that. So the two things that we take away tonight, number one, God is always doing something special all over the world. It might seem disconnected, it might seem unrelated, and it might seem half a world away. But whatever God is doing is affecting you, and it is setting up generations to come to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ and carry their load. We need to participate in whatever God is doing. We participate in prayer. We participate physically when we can, financially when God leads us, because whatever God is doing, somewhere there's a special season of God, and we need to make sure we're involved in that special moment. And number two, let's not be people who tear down things. Tearing down one thing does not equal building up something else. Let's lift up the name of Jesus. Amen.